Welcome to DT Madness, Chronicles from the Third Life, Episode 17, July 22nd, 2022. So glad you could make it. Well, note about that last line, so glad. You could make it. That is a line from a widespread panic song called Vacation. We are approaching the 20th anniversary of the founding member, uh, Michael Hauser, known usually as Mikey, uh, who writes writes and sings that song. Um, that, that means so much to so many of us, but... Uh, Kind of the imagery is of a person that's being swept away in the waves, you know, dragged down or uh, falling off a mountain, mountain climbing. Uh, And the last is uh, the boat is sinking, you know, and the way Mikey sings is, you know, you came along with a raft and a song. And I'm so glad you could make it with you by my side. I might get back alive from my next vacation. And so that's the uh, inspiration for each week, me offering that up to you. Uh, So glad you could make it, knowing that you are a raft and a song. For me as well, it is, uh, you know, something that I will talk about a little bit later in terms of writing letters. I told one of my friends this week, you know, in in, in seeing widespread panic for 20 years, um, more than 20 years, I was running away from a lot of things, you know, during that second life. Um, A lot of destructive types of behaviors and whatever, but I was running away. But when I, when I discovered this community of folks, typically on the left side of the soundboard at widespread panic shows and the friendships that are so dear to me now and, and that have been developed through those years, it, it, the way I thought about it is that it, it gave me something to run to, to run toward, um, which is which is largely why I spent so much time uh, with the music and with those people. So anyway, so glad you could make it. We also have a, a trip coming up. Sam and I are scheduled to take off Monday for for New York will be in New York most of next week. I will report back uh, and you can follow along at DT underscore madness. I'm sure I'll post some, some stories and such as that. So um, with that big trip coming up and then, and then again, if all goes as imagined um, Raleigh next Friday for some fish. Um, This one, episode 17 is, is a big episode. This one will probably run longer than any of in the past, because likely next week, since I will be away, I'll give some updates on our trip, most likely, but but may just end up being a recap of some of the the symbols and uh, ideas that are are brought up weekly here. We shall see. Anyway, so I, I made a playlist called. All right. Well, hold on. Let me back up. Sometime within the last 17 weeks, which is how long this podcast 
has been running. Kind of wild to think about that. One of my students in those last days of, of school, you know, they sneakily took a, a Snapchat picture of me. It was when that filter, you know, that made you look so sad when that one was all the rage. And so they had the picture of me with the sad, terrible, sad face. And, and then that picture got passed around as the kids will do. And it got dubbed DT sadness. They knew about my podcast and they sure do think they are funny. I have to admit they, they did get me good on that one. So yeah, I was, I was by myself the other day and uh, I think Sarah and the kids were down in Columbia visiting some old friends and Sam was wherever Sam goes as one will during the summer between high school and college. But I was, uh, I was getting into my feels, as the kids say. At some point, I was on the front porch swing, and it was nighttime, and the rain was falling, and that's one of my favorite places to be. So I, I, I made a playlist. I like making playlists, and I called this one DT Sadness. My, uh, my Apple Music account is linked to Sydney's, so we see each other's playlists and such. And after an hour or two, I noticed that she had put that picture with my face all contorted into sadness as the main art for the playlist. Yeah, she thinks she's real funny. It is a great playlist. It's It's got some Jason Isbell. It's got some Avitz. Stella Blue is on there. All in Time, a new song uh, out from Acoustic Syndicate. Grace is Gone from Dave Matthews. Island, a Jimmy Buffett tune. And then a couple of songs from Jesus Christ Superstar. The, the track Gethsemane, that is from the original lineup original Broadway recording and then the Sarah Bareilles version of I don't know how to love I don't know how to love him um, empty chairs and empty tables from Les Mis is on there but anyway so so this episode is called DT sadness and it's in three parts and we'll do the first two and then half time and come back and wrap it up and so the first part I have called the sads you know, as a parent or perhaps as a teacher or whatever, um, I guess sometimes, you know, something that you hear other parents saying or something I know I've said plenty of times to my own kids, I, hey, that you, you know, nothing to worry about. You've got nothing to worry about. And yeah, that's not, that's not really true, is it? Um, we could list off the things that there are to worry about and we could probably fill up several podcasts with just the list of things. Um, there are those ones that are common to us all and there are ones that, you know, are unique to us, but yeah, there, there's a long list of things to worry about. My, my friend Anna asked the other day, you know, this question, do, do we really have more to worry about than generations past? You know, like what's going on? Is it just that we're more aware of it? So, yeah, I don't know. I've been reading Ken Wilber, who believes in this integral integral philosophy, um, integral psychology. And I am about in my fifth book of his, and I think I'm starting to kind of understand where he's coming from. I'm not going to flesh any of that out right now. We can talk about that later. Um, but, yeah, Wilber talks about... Um, pre-modern and modern. And anyway, I said I wasn't going to talk about it. And he recommended a book by Robert Keegan that I, that I ordered called modern, uh, like how do we deal in our, with our modern mind and 
development in this age and things like that. And anyway, I'll just say this. I'll make the claim without really backing it up. But with with reading those things, knowing where we are philosophically, like how our society works and what we rest on and, and, and how really only thing we, we kind of look at anymore is just empirical evidence. And we've kind of left spirit behind in our, our modern Western ways. And anyway, said I wasn't going to talk about it. Um, but I do. Yeah. I guess the answer is, yeah, I do think we have more to worry about now and maybe we need to recover ways to deal with all that, to, to better cope anyway. I've mentioned before that I think that the great burden of this generation of the, of the generation of high school students anyway, is going to be moving out of all this stuff together. It's been difficult enough going through the last two to three years, but um, like coming out of it and coming out of it together where everything has been fractured. We've talked about institutional decline. We, you know, we, we, we see kind of societal fractures and coming out of all that together is a great challenge, but I'm, I'm still kind of hopeful for it because I know who these kids are. One of the things that we talk about in psychology is 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 Jean Piaget and his stages of cognitive development have these teenagers, you know, in what what he calls formal operational stage, moving out of concrete into formal operational, which is where you you first begin to develop the ability to think hypothetically, to think about the what ifs, to think about you know, to deduce and all of those types of cognitive abilities. And so think about that. Think about somebody who is 13, 14, 15, coming into the ability to think and to process things cognitively, hypothetically, in the midst of this global pandemic, in the midst of this global turmoil, national turmoil, all of that kind of stuff. I mean, I don't know. I guess I'm getting old. So speaking of that, there's this, what is it? Is it, is it progressive? I don't know. It's flow. Right. And, uh, there's the one where she goes, the commercial where she goes and like her sister's there or something. And she's like, keep saying your words. She's like, she says what dad is old. And so, yeah, I say that about myself all the time. Okay. I like that commercial, but, but I guess I'm getting old because, you know, my entire focus pretty much anymore is on the generations that follow mine. It's, it's on the kids. Um, maybe it's, maybe it's just because of, of that. I have kids in that age range. Maybe it's because I'm a high school teacher, but yeah, I mean, it's easily understandable. Like the full emotions that, that we are all experiencing and especially, especially our teens, there's some sadness, you know, we've been watching Ted Lasso and at the end of, Season one, he gives a great speech that says, you know, it's okay to be sad, but there are worse things than being sad, and, and, and that is being sad and alone. And so one of the things that I think about is how can we facilitate these spaces? How can we facilitate spaciousness so that our kids know that they are not alone? And, and even more, so that we can let their fresh eyes cast the vision. And my uh, 
my defenses are good against this kind of stuff. My, my, uh, psychological or whatever you call them, my, my defense mechanisms are really strong. I've had a long time to, I've had a long time to begin to perfect these things. It, it was funny. I was at the river and, and I was thinking about how strong my defenses are about how, uh, uh, rugged and, and hard my exterior is and, and, and how I'm, I can easily push away those things, push people away, uh, in order to deal with those kinds of things. <laughs> and this bug flew at me and like, I don't know. I jerked like, I mean, just some serious spasms. And I realized, yes, okay. I definitely have good defenses. My, my nervous system is quick twitch, you know? So, you know, look, part of that is fight or flight and that's just natural responses. And, it's funny that I, I have such strong and quick defenses in that way, but but it's also kind of sad because it's a testament to the luggage, you know, that I'm hauling around. And maybe there's a toughness that I lack. Perhaps that's a quality we should aim to help instill in ourselves and our kids. I, I don't really have any qualms with that. But if possible... What is what does the book say? What does the good book say? As much as it depends on me, live at peace with everyone. So if possible, I hope to join you in, in chipping away at these forces, these what Paul says, principalities and powers, and 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 meanwhile create homes and communities and societies where life can be experienced with freedom and vulnerability and I I can't even finish this line of thought because I realize how naive it sounds. I mean, God, life is hard sometimes. And I can't even imagine how difficult it is for folks in different parts of the world or different situations. But I don't know, as naive as it is to dream about creating this better world, shouldn't that be our aim? Shouldn't that be the source and the direction of our energy? But, you know, it's not just the outside forces that lead to DT sadness sometimes. I'm, I'm pretty good at beating myself up. Recently, I've been thinking about what I could have done differently through these last two years. And, and one thing that we semi-joke about, I don't think it was really a joke, was that the kids were, were wanting to get a golf cart. I, I, I'm, I've been on council in, in this town, Boiling Springs, for several years, and now I am the mayor. And, and we had a big golf cart issue you know people want to ride them around on the streets and things like that and and they do they ride through our neighborhoods and my kids wanted one and i've been thinking like man i should have i should have i should have gotten them the golf cart because if i would have gotten them the golf cart then you know things could have been different maybe we could have gotten through maybe we would have felt some some freedom through the lockdowns and through the whatever that we, that maybe we didn't feel. And so I've been beating myself up. Like, why didn't I, why didn't I see that? Why didn't I take that step? But then, you know, I I recognize the hubris in thinking that I actually have that much control. Actions have consequences for sure. But I have this inflated sense that I can be in control. I've talked about that before, even last week. So, you know, in a way, recognizing that it's it's kind of prideful or arrogant in a way to think that I should have gotten the golf cart because I could have made, you know, that that 
leads to some freedom for me on the surface. The recognition gives me comfort, but you know what? I'm really talented. And so I end up back into the cycle of beating myself up again. (laughs) And I have this really unhealthy desire. I'm sure it's unhealthy for you to be proud of me. Uh, You know, my, my bosses, my, my colleagues, my, my kids, um, my listeners, the, the people that I serve as mayor, all that kind of stuff. I have this, I have this really strong desire for you to be proud of me. I'm not sure why I feel like I always have to prove myself. I even wanted, you know, Robin to know that I bought the best fidget spinner. And I am, I'm consistent about preaching to my kids that they don't have to prove themselves telling them that this, these pressures of proving yourself in schools and things like that is false. And, 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 and yet here I am all these years later, still doing the same thing. I guess there's a, a saying about apples and trees. And so part two is, is practice. What, what, what am I trying to do about it? Because, you know, I want to do the work. I want to do the work. I want to keep on going just like the river. Um, and so one of the things is, is practicing a, a half smile, a full smile if possible, but a half smile. Thich Nhat Hanh, I think I've probably mentioned this before as well, says even a smile like a half smile is enough to relax all the muscles in our face, to banish worries and fatigue. A tiny bud of a smile on our lips nourishes awareness and calms us miraculously. It returns us the peace we thought we had lost. And I know that there are times where you can't, like when you're in the midst of pain, when you're in the midst of that darkness, yeah, trying to find a half smile is, it's not always something that, that seems that can be attained. Thich Nhat Hanh says that even when he is not able to smile, he knows that the daffodil holds his smile. I'll let you think about that. But I really have found that, you know, when I consciously put the half smile on, it helps me to see things literally like see things around me that I am glad about. It does seem to change my outlook even in an instant. So that's something that I'm practicing. Isaac has the cheesiest, like most ridiculous half smile, um, which is something to have smile about. I'm getting into writing letters, like actually writing with pen and mailing them with a stamp, which now costs 58 cents. Um, I remember back in my day. But uh, that's good for me, too. Like that's a way to process some of the things that I'm thinking. It helps me to to slow down because my handwriting is definitely not great. And so for someone to be able to read what I'm writing, I've got to slow down and consider my thoughts. But it helps me to be intentional with what I'm saying to someone else. I don't really expect people to write me back in that way. Um, But yeah, gotten into writing letters. This podcast is, is great therapy for me. It probably is my therapy. Um, Like number one source. A practice that I, I, I want to continue is, is being an educator to help deal with these types of issues to help deal with the DT sadness, because I, 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 I've got so much to say about this, but our system is, 
I don't I don't want to say that it's broken, but it's it's not working on all cylinders. Too much testing pressure, too much do this to get that, you know, and, and we've forgotten perhaps, or let me let me put it the way that I'm for rather than what I'm against. What I'm for in education is I do, I believe in the liberal arts. I knew he was a liberal. No, I mean liberal as in liberating. As in opening your mind, as in freeing your mind, like you know, um, one of my favorite quotes is Henry David Thoreau and, and basically says one of the greatest miracles would be for us to be able to see through the eyes of another, if only for an instant. Because that's what education does. I don't know what it's like to be other people. I don't know what it's like to live in other cultures. But when I read things fall apart or when I read, you know, when I read history and, and when I read different novels from different authors by women authors, by black authors, by, you know, Latino authors or whatever. Like when you read Gabriel Marquez, you're able to see through the eyes of another person, if only for an instant. And that, that frees me, that liberates me. It makes me more human because it helps me to get out of my little self and recognize that I'm a part of something way bigger. And I don't mean to discount the sciences or math or, or technical skills. Those are all hugely important, but should all be pointing towards like being a good citizen, towards being in this with other people. And let's let them be kids, man. my, my, my youngest boy is in eighth grade and it's like, Hey, how many ninth grade classes do you want your kid to take? Let's get your kid three ninth grade classes so that, so that, so that he can go ahead and be in 10th grade when he's in ninth grade so that he can go ahead and start taking college classes when he's at the college classes, quote unquote. But, but anyway, like when he's in 11th grade so that he can go to college and already be a sophomore and look, I get, or or even a junior. And I get it. Y'all like, I understand the money factor. I understand all that. Like college is expensive and all that kind of stuff. But but let's let our kids be kids. Why are we why are we why are we doing this? <laughs> okay. And and you know, look, I, I'm not discounting excellence. We should strive. We should compete. When I'm out with my kids playing tennis, you know, I don't get upset at them when they get pissed. Can I say that? You, you should be pissed off when you miss a shot. That should bother you. You should desire excellence. If you're not, then why are you playing the game? But at the same time, if you're not level by the next shot, then why are you playing the game? Easier said than done. So we should strive. We should compete. And you know what? You may prove yourself wrong. You may find out that you were wrong, that that you didn't have it right. And that's part of the process. Think about the scientific method. You know, proving yourself wrong, proving a hypothesis wrong is a huge step. It's a huge win. Now you know not what to do or what not to do. Agency, creativity, cooperation, metacognition. And the cooperation part, it's huge. And, and and there's no doubt that that I or you may get taken advantage of. I have been. 
by those who are cutthroat, by those who are in it just for themselves. We know that that's how it works. We know that the people who are working towards cooperation get stepped on. We know that. We live. And there are tremendous ethical questions involved here. No doubt. But cooperation, it's a huge deal. And that takes us to the final part. But not before a little halftime brain break. Lighten up the mood just for a second before we dive, before we dive back in. I've been trying to write down my dreams, and that's pretty wild. Uh, about three out of five days, I guess, so far I've remembered them. The first one was really interesting. I was in the ocean with, I believe, Sam, and, and we were bobbing in the waves, and then I saw this knife, like like hunting knife type thing that was bobbing, it was floating. And I went to get it, and I told Sam I needed to take it into shore so that nobody got hurt. And I grabbed the knife, and when I did, the waves began to pound and became more frequent and larger. And I was diving through them. I was, I was avoiding them as best I could. But then eventually one got me, drug me under. And I realized, yeah, I'm holding this knife. Probably not the best thing. I could, I could hurt myself here. I don't know if I should let go of the knife or if that's part of the risk. Uh, the interpretation of the dreams I haven't gotten to. The second one was kind of strange too. I was, I was decorating a house or, the way that I had set up my house was with dominoes, just intricate patterns of dominoes. And it wasn't just dominoes. It was everything that was in the house was all stacked up that way. But the reason why in the dream was so that when they fell, because I knew they were going to, that they would fall in a beautiful pattern and that I would know how to put the pieces back together. Mm. The last one, I don't know if I should even say it out loud. It was such a weird thing. I think I was a giant plastic fork or spoon, like the clear plastic ones, the really sturdy ones. But then it kind of morphed into that I was that the that the the box that the plastic forks and spoons came in was was empty, and it was a huge empty box. But the emptiness was good. Mm. Where you at, Freud? Where you at, Carl Jung? Anyway, totally different. I got a new haircut. I got a new fade. Kathy hooked me up. Looking good. One guard on the side. And she washed it for me mm, with that tea tree, that Paul Mitchell. Mm, I got to get me some of that shampoo. And uh, she put a little product in there. And she went with the full swoop, you know, all the way over from the part. Speaking of that, I, I think about getting into pomade. Um, I'm probably not a Dapper Dan man. More like whatever Jamie Tart uses, you know, because when I showed Sarah the picture of my new cut and my full swoop, she said I looked like a proper footballer. Now, we've been watching and rewatching the first two seasons of Ted Lasso, so that's where that comes from. Although I'm a huge Charlotte Football Club fan, I even watched that one match where they beat Chelsea. Those announcers, though, they're lacking. But anyway, since I was looking like a proper footballer, I told Isaac while in the drive through at Chick-fil-A that... Uh, you know, the people did a double take when they drove by, probably because they thought I was on Raul Madrid. And I wasn't even trying to make a joke. I just really botched the name that badly instead of Real. I said Raul. 
Incidentally, at that same point, I also asked for Peloponnesian sauce rather than Polynesian. So maybe my neural connections were just not firing on all cylinders that day. But anyway, I've got some alter egos. You know, I've been called Danny, Daniel's son, Daniel, DT, of course, D-Nice, Bertrand. And now I have a new alter ego, Raul Madrid, proper footballer. All right, already almost at the 30-minute mark. This one will go a little bit longer. I hope you can stick with it. Maybe listen to it in two parts. But the third part and the final part is is what I've called identity. We did uh, the SADS, we did the practice, and now this is identity, which is honestly probably what the whole episode's about anyway. Isaac's been, um, he's my youngest boy, he's my eighth grader. He, uh, He's been making his own lunch and he'll just look up in the cabinet, right? He's not uh, using a recipe or anything like that. Like he'll just look up in the cabinet and see what's up there and then put some ingredients together. And he's made some different pastas, pastas, as he says. And um, he loves a good toasted baguette and he cooked up some, some special, but like some, some good butter and whatever and, and put it on the bread and then toasted it up. And then I came in and he was eating it and he was just like, listen to that crunch. It was perfect. He was so glad. We'll come back to that. I have been pondering identity. And that's, I mean, that's a tricky enough subject for a grown person. Eric Erickson, who has eight stages of psychosocial development, he puts the kids, the teenagers, right smack dab in the middle of a stage called identity versus role confusion. That's where they are in their development. They are trying to understand who they are. They're trying to figure out what their identity is. So think about that. Let's combine that with Piaget, who says that they're just now entering into this stage of being able to use hypothetical thinking and deduction. And, you know, we're going to add Kohlberg in, who says that they're, they're beginning to understand what morality is based on more than just what they want. But they, they're moving into what, you know, other people might think. And then perhaps even into what's good for all of us. So you combine all of that. Wow, no wonder. But 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 there are so many different identities, so many different me's. You know, I'm 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 a husband, I'm a dad, I'm a mayor, I'm a teacher, etc. You know, but but who is that I, that inner observer, as Ken Wilber refers to it? You, you know what I mean? Who is that I? And growing up in, in the South, especially here, but like growing up in churches and things like that, the identity was always to be in Christ. Your identity is in Christ, I think the Bible says. And I, I agree with that. I do. I might see it a little bit differently than, than some, but, it, but because it's not the lion, you know? This is something I've really seen i've seen this in it, 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 it facebook backgrounds i i read the lyrics of some some contemporary worship songs and it's all about the lion you know and this strong proud figure and i get it i get that the verse in revelation says that that jesus is is the lion of the tribe of judah i understand that i don't know that you can find it a whole lot of other places because jesus is the lamb you know 
I mean, I, I get the line. In some ways, it's worthy, right, to think about devouring death. I think St. August, Augustine said that, or that, you know, God is mighty or whatever, and, and that he's there for you. And like having that kind of confidence, I, I can understand that. But I don't really get the sense that's where it ends. It seems more like the lion is a symbol that, that we're warriors for Jesus and, and you're all going to be eaten if you don't shape up, you know, and it's strength and power. And I mentioned Jesus Christ Superstar. I love that. Andrew Lloyd Webber. Um, I've listened to it since I was a kid. My dad was always spinning the 33 record, you know, and the 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 disciples and the people are are, are asking Jesus early on, hey, when are we going to ride into Jerusalem? Let's go. You're the one. You're the king. Let's go. Let's take them down. And that was the mistake. That was the, the misunderstanding that they had then. And it seems to me that we still have it. Because it's not about the lion, it's about the lamb. It always was and always will be. That's the great mystery. Death leads to resurrection. Mercy and grace and humility, they are the true power. Things are turned on their head. It's foolishness to the wise. It's all in there. Pick up your cross, you know, not for some temporary, easily manufactured feeling but a practice, a lifelong practice. Daily, pick up your cross, year after year, decade after decade. Thich Nhat Hanh says that the, the, the person who can look at a table and see the universe can see the way. He talks about it in terms of interconnectedness, the oneness of it all. We have a table, we call it the Matthew table. I think I've mentioned it in a podcast previously, but When you look at that table, if you can see the universe, think about the trees that went into making it, you know, think about the the person, think about the ancestors of that person. Think about, you know, the air and the water that, that were necessary for the tree to grow. You know, think about whatever, you know, think about the relationship that I have with Matthew so that he made that table for us. We could go in all different types of ways, but just by looking at the table, if you think about all the things that went into that that aren't the table, I think that's what Han is talking about. If you can see the table and see the universe, then you can see the way. I know time can feel really heavy. I felt it. It can feel like it stands still sometimes. But it isn't. It's moving on as it has. That's why the the saying, this too shall pass, is such an important thing for me in this time of my life. It's not that this too, I don't mean it in terms of this too shall pass as though somehow the next day or two or the next month or two, you know, things are all going to be better and feel great. I, I hope so. But one way or another, whether it's one day, 10 days, or 100 years, or a thousand This too shall pass. I spend a lot of time at the river. I love the turtles. I speak their language. It took me a couple years to to learn their language, but uh, I'm pretty fluent in it now. And one of the things that I love watching them do is to to clamber. Is Is that what they do? Up onto the rock so that they can get their sun. And when the river's high, 
after a big rain, there's not as many rocks available for them to get on. And so you can see the turtles popping their heads up out of the water. Kind of, I assume, looking around. Maybe they're just getting sun where they can. But once the, you know, once the rock, once the rocks begin to reveal themselves again, then they'll be back up there. They wait. That's their identity. It's the identity of the turtle to stick their heads up out of the water and find the rock once the river recedes. And they keep doing that time after time after time. Ours is to pick up the cross. That's our identity. To die to self, to deny yourself, and so attain resurrection. And it's not doing one to gain the other. And I think that's such an important distinction for me. I'm not the lamb so that the lion can devour. How do I say it? I'm not humble so that I will be exalted. I I I don't live in gentleness and weakness so that I can gain strength and power. It's not doing one to get the other. If that's the motivation, then I think it's all wrong. Maybe I'm splitting hairs because certainly in Philippians 2, Jesus who became obedient to death, who humbled himself, was exalted. But but, but I don't think that you do it to be exalted. It's a huge distinction for me. I don't know if it makes sense. But humility and grace and gentleness and passion and compassion, these things make up our identity. And I don't think that's necessarily passive. I don't think that means that we don't speak out for justice. How's that for a double negative? I do think we should fight for justice. But how or, you know, considering carefully how we go about that struggle, increasing our sympathy and our Empathy for people who are in pain. I've had this image in my mind down at the river lately of of hugging the pain. You know, hugging death. Recognizing those things. That's hard for me. That's hard for me. That's been a huge one for me. It's a huge source of, of worry and fear. But hugging pain and hugging death and recognizing those things as part of the way. Capital W. Part of the way. Surrendering, you know, that's the way I want to be. I want to be that way for me, but mostly so I can be that way for you so that I can be for you. Because, you know, if we can be mindful of that crunchy bread, you know, if you can be like Isaac and just be enamored with the, 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 the texture and the taste and the the satisfaction of having created this crunchy bread and to be like, yes, this is the way it should be. And if you, if you can be enveloped in that moment as I was in that moment, if we can be mindful of that crunchy bread, then I really do believe that we're on our way towards resting in the peace and hope of the one true self, the Christ consciousness, the spirit, our true identity. That's a lot. A lot to unpack for me. 
probably just scratching the surface. Not too bad, just 40 minutes, maybe not even a record. This episode has been a production of the Church of Six, brought to you by the Wall of Belief, the Foundation Tower of Stone, the Bucket of Life, and the Magic Rock. Hey y'all, don't forget to be live. Peace, my friends.